What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and I'm joined by my fellow host, Osama Dahoud. What's up, man? Oh, yes. I'm very excited. It's been four years already. I know. It's it's flown by. Unbelievable. The Qatar World Cup, the one we were surprised by a decade ago, is here. Yeah, that's it's crazy that they picked it 10 years ago. I, it doesn't seem like that long ago that uh, this uh, most controversial, probably the most controversial World Cup of all time. Maybe there was, was there one in Berlin in the 40s or something, or was that the Olympics? Uh, that was the, the in Munich. They had the Olympics yeah. in Munich. Uh, I don't remember in about the 40s. We just had one in <laughs> Russia four years ago. Yeah, right. there's a controversial one. <laughs> Well, they weren't engaged in active combat with uh, a sovereign nation. But anyway, uh, so today we are going to be talking all things World Cup, if you haven't uh, gotten the idea from uh, our intro here. Uh, So by the time that this episode drops, uh, we'll be a day or two into World Cup 22 taking place in Qatar. Uh, So Osama and I are going to be talking about our first World Cup memories, some of our favorite memories or favorite games in general from the World Cup and a few of our favorite what-ifs from the you know close to 100-year history of this tournament. We won't necessarily be covering the biggest what-ifs, uh, but just some of those that are, again, near and dear to our hearts, maybe ones that, that stick out uh, particularly well. So uh, at, then at the end, we'll do a quick wrap-up with some predictions and maybe some dark horse picks and what to expect from definitely the most unique World Cup in modern history, given the timing, given the location, um, everything, you know, all, all of the above, basically. So let, let's jump right in with some of our first World Cup memories. So we're both around the same age, both in our, let's say, mid-30s. So Speak what, for what's, yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 34. Yeah, I have to think about it for a second. So what? what's the, which World Cup do you remember? You know, what was the first one that you remember? Yeah, so the, the World Cup I can remember clearly watching and things happening was France 98. I just so happen to have watched two World Cups in Palestine, France 98 and uh, Germany 2006, I watched overseas. Uh, And France 98 was unique uh, because I I think that tournament, you know, it was the first time the, I think one of the, was it the first time the host country won the World Cup? No, definitely not. I'm sure Brazil would won it. Probably, okay, never mind. Anywho, what I clearly remember the most was the day of the final. Because Brazil, for anyone from another country, Brazil, you know, won 20 years worth of World Cups. They won five World Cups. So at some point in a generation, you were probably a fan of Brazil if you grew up outside of the U.S. uh, Because they'd won so many World Cups, whether it's Pele, um, or Ronaldinho and Ronaldo, and I'm sure I'm missing people that played before them, but that's my memory. Uh, so the day of the final, the team sheet is released to the commentary, and Ronaldo is not on it. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. this is weird. Where the hell is Ronaldo? It would be like if... And this Messi is got- uh, Ronaldo phenomenal, not Cristiano. Yes, yes, not Cristiano. <laughs> e- excellent clarification. <laughs> So, so this would be like if Argentina's team sheet came out and like Messi's not on it. It's like, where the hell is Ronaldo? Uh, so the announcing crew goes to Pele, who was very old and doing media already. And he's like, I don't know where he is. It turns out that the, some players are with him in his hotel room and he had a seizure in the hotel. 
and was taken to the hospital and they were doing everything they can to get him game ready. But he was, and they apparently, you know, hopefully this is true. I don't know what happened. There's no information on how it happened, but that, that it just, there was no explanation for it. He just had a seizure the night before the morning of the world cup, but team sheet comes out later and it's adjusted and he's the number nine striker in the starting lineup. Uh, but his uh, performance didn't matter. It wasn't great. And France won. What I clearly clearly remember that night was all of my family friends who were all Brazil fans uh, being shocked uh, by Zidane's dominance in that final. And that's what I remember mm-hmm. the most is just, and he hadn't even fully like come to, into all of his powers yet. He was still like peaking. He still had some hair. Yeah, he was still had some hair. He didn't have that glorious... Uh, bowling ball polished head that he has now uh, he was still peeking into his powers and he dominated that game scoring two goals and I think because too like the Arab connection that he has everyone was more so in awe and and respected uh, by by him dominating their team 3-0 yeah and I think so Brazil like you mentioned that just about everyone that you know or you're watching with was rooting for Brazil I think Brazil is like everyone's second team outside of your team, you know, because you think about like all the European countries, there's some uh, problematic colonial ties that go with every other country, right? Like (laughs) France, you know, in Africa and Portugal and Africa and England everywhere and Italy, you know, in Libya and Ethiopia and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And then you look at uh, Brazil, they don't have any of those colonial issues or problems. So you can, you know, unproblematically root for Brazil, no matter where you're from. And a lot of people do. And it's it's fun to root for Brazil. They're the flair team, you know, the Samba, the Joga Benito, whatever. So, yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. And I, I also, I vaguely remember 98. Um, I was about 10 years old. I remember mostly the final because of that anxiety, seizure attack, whatever it might have been. I think Ronaldo himself came out and said that he was so anxious about the the final because he was still pretty young at the time he was so anxious about the final that he thinks that's what led to the seizure and i think uh the brazil team doctor came out later and he said he thinks that ronaldo had a heart attack that day which is a whole you know that's a whole different story like was it a heart attack was it a was it anxiety whatever it is he definitely was was not himself uh for that final and i read also that in the before the 2002 final he was really scared that it would happen again like he had uh, anxiety about the anxiety attack. Uh, but the one that I really remember was 2002. So I was you know, 14 years old. It was like near the end of uh, my freshman year in high school. And uh, it was in Japan and Korea. So it was similar to, to this World Cup in terms of timing, maybe even earlier. I remember games, I think, would start at midnight, 2 a.m., 5 a.m. So we would wake up in the middle of the night to watch the games. And, you know, my parents would be livid because we're doing this on a school night. Um, but we had a, a ton of Portuguese kids in my high school. And of course the U S was in the group with Portugal. So, and they, they beat Portugal three, two in in the group stage that year. And we had one teacher, I think he was a history teacher or something white guy. He was just trolling mercilessly. This dude came to class the day after, like in like a 10 foot long USA flag tied around his neck, like a Superman cape. And, uh, but I did get to watch the end of that world cup. 
in Egypt. So it was cool because the timing was obviously a lot better. And it was like prime time. Uh, so being able to like actually follow the tournament a little closer in Egypt and being in a country where people really gave a shit about the outcome was cool. And instead of, you know, the U.S. where now we have watch parties and stuff like that, but that definitely wasn't a thing, you know, 20 years ago in 2002. Uh, and do, do you remember the 94 one at all? I think we were both around five, six years old. Not a damn thing. <laughs> I think my so we were living in Virginia at the time, and one of the the venues was uh, RFK Stadium, I think, in DC. And my brothers went to a Belgium Saudi Arabia game, and I I vaguely remember them going to that, but I don't I don't remember anything else about that tournament, which is a shame because obviously it was here uh, in the U.S. What I remember about two thousand two. I remember the Spanish team being freaking furious at the referees. I think they believed that they they had gotten screwed. Um, and the other thing I remember was the the final. I had gotten really sick that year uh, with pneumonia. And I remember going, I had a German doctor uh, before the final. And uh, he's like, are you watching? This is my German impression, sorry. Are you watching the World Cup? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Brazil. And he goes, you're not rooting for the Germans? And I was like, no, nah, bro, you're not going to win. And they got their, they got no one roots for Germany. <laughs> they got no, they got whooped in that final. Maybe now people do because they're a little more like multicultural. You know, they got a bunch of Turkish, Turkish guys and some black dudes. But I don't, I don't think the O2 squad had very many at all. Uh, it was very uh, homogenous. Uh, <laughs> or yeah, homogenous. <laughs> That's the right word. Yeah. And O2 was a weird tournament. It was, I mean, Korea and Japan, not exactly World Cup or, you know, soccer powerhouses at the time. There was a lot of controversial calls. I think Italy got jobbed by the referee in 02, which is ironic considering all the, the dark arts and things that they do. But they lost to Korea in, in a really controversial fashion. I think Japan and Korea both made pretty decent runs. And the U.S., of course, made a, a pretty decent run during that tournament as well. So that was a good one. You must have played Mexico, right? That year? Was that the year US beat Mexico? Yeah. I want to say yes. In the round of 16, that was when they beat uh beat Mexico. And they said it was kind of like the US wasn't obviously not not a host nation, but you know, of course, there's a lot of expats in Korea and Japan. So a lot of them felt like home games for the US. Ooh. You know, there's a documentary coming out that a lot of listeners by the time this comes out will be able to hear it around Thanksgiving on Amazon about the US. Mexico rivalry and in the trailer Chicharito Hernandez says we don't play uh, away games in the U.S. which is just such a badass thing to say <laughs> there's a few places they do but for the most part he's right that's why I mean why else do you think the U.S. will schedule you know their matches against uh, Mexico in like Columbus Ohio yeah <laughs> you know what I'm saying like I mean there's a lot of Mexican folks in the Midwest more than I think you know, people on the coasts would think, but like Chicago has a huge Mexican population. That's not too far from Columbus, but I think Ohio itself, I I don't think it has that many Mexican folks, but yeah, if LA, San Francisco, anywhere in Texas, the Arizona, if they play in Phoenix at the uh, whatever state farm, wherever the Cardinals play, uh, he's right. It is, it's just basically the U S against any, decent size like latin american or Concacaf country is going to be uh it's not they're not going to have the home field basically in the yeah. u.s so unless it's ohio 
or Alaska or some shit. <laughs> I think they, they've played the last one. Was it against Honduras? They played it in Minnesota and it was like minus 15 degrees. Amazing. Something like that. I mean, whatever it takes to get a result, who cares? Uh, but yeah, so we, we talked about our first memories. What about some of our favorite memories? Uh, again, def- doesn't have to be the biggest games, uh, but just some of our some of your favorite ones over the years that you've seen. Yeah, so I, I never actually rooted for a specific country through the first couple of World Cups. Um, I watched Spain in 2008 at the Euros and was like, wow, that team plays football differently than anyone else. That that was amazing. So for better or worse these days, Spain was my team, especially during that golden era. So for me, my absolute favorite moment is the Andres Iniesta game winner in the 2010 final in South Africa. That was a tough one. I was rooting for for the Netherlands. <laughs> um, that I, was... I don't like him as a player. Obviously, the Barcelona connection and all that. But sure, sure. <laughs> that world, every World Cup has like its own theme of some kind, right? And South Africa is the easiest one because of the vuvuzelas, right? So it just sounded like everyone was playing inside of a beehive for a month. That's the and... signature sound. Yeah. Yeah, and that the that final was so violent. Like it wasn't actually from a technical standpoint an appealing final to watch. It was just the Dutch beating the shit out of all these little Spanish guys in the Do final. Do you remember when I think it was Nigel Leong kicked Xavi Alonso in the chest? Yeah, was it Nigel Leong or Van Bronckhurst? It was, no, it was, it was definitely Young. It was a very imposing bald man kicked yep. Zavi Alonso like straight it wasn't quite a drop kick but he got him like flush in the chest I don't know if you still watch like WWE up to a certain point but there was an Irish wrestler named Sheamus that had a big mm-hmm. boot that was like his finishing move it looked like one of those big boots from him or from the big show straight up yeah yeah I think his cleat print is still there on Xavi Alonso's chest to this day I think it's still there uh yeah so it's like he gets sent off the Dutch are down to 10. Iker Casillas and uh, Stecklenburg are both, you know, they're playing like, like an octopus. There's just no way getting around them. Cesc Fabregas comes on and just slices the defense with this amazing through ball. And Iniesta follows through with just a badass finish. Like he really did hammer, for a little man, hammered the shit out of that ball uh to win it and all of it was crazy like it was just completely nuts he takes his shirt his shirt off to reveal a small little white guy who just won it for spain for the first time ever uh yeah and they they earned it like that tournament they just dominated that tournament uh yeah that was like peak tiki taka peak that golden generation that that i think started in 08 with the euros and of course carried on so What's funny about that, what I remember is them losing the first game against Switzerland. And I was like, no, <laughs> it's over already. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Spain that, is your your usual like squad that you root for? Yeah, I, I root for And I'm, being a Barcelona fan, it's kind of easy to root for Spain. Most of the players are there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I have the unfortunate uh, circumstance of usually rooting for England because of the same reason, like the players. Um, I usually, I root for for players over countries. Aside from the U.S., of course, the U.S. is number one for me. And then uh, Egypt, if they ever make it when they, you know, they make it every every generation or so. But, yeah, I usually just root for for Chelsea players that, that make it. So um, one one of my favorite moments, and it's kind of a painful one as well, was the uh, performance of Tim Howard against Belgium 
in the 2014 World Cup, where he was like, for 90 minutes or 95 minutes, whenever they scored the the second goal, he was like the greatest goalie in the history of soccer. The dude was like unbelievable. I don't remember off the top of my head like the stats, but it seemed like it was the possession was like 90-10, and Belgium had like 30 shots on goal, and no matter what they did, they they couldn't uh, they couldn't get past him, and that's like one of the all-time keeper performances it's got to be in in world cup history that was in brazil right yeah that was brazil uh round of 16 i think uh against belgium there were some astonishing goalkeeper performances in that tournament and that's the thing right with with these tournaments right is like and we can talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the u.s but it's like it's if you have a great keeper that's in form and a solid defense you can you can go far you don't have to have the best team at you know even close to the best team and you can make a deep run just because of the randomness of the of the format and the one-off uh you know like march madness right anything can happen seems like any just about anything can happen in the world cup just ask greece 2004 yeah right they won the euro i mean they were the host nation too so they got a little boost there um but yeah that it's the, the cream usually rises to the top in the final, you know, I think most of the time we can say the best or one of the three best teams won it generally, but you can go to the round of 16. You can make it to the quarterfinals if you're just, you know, stubborn and stingy. And then a lot of teams can do that. Yep. So any other uh, big memories? Yeah, I, I don't want to try and hog them all. The Zidane headbutt, not necessarily a positive one, but for how shocking it was, I think was huge um i watched the broadcast in hebrew uh because it was a much better picture <laughs> than the one they were broadcasting on palestine tv uh so we watched it there and my uncle spoke hebrew so he uh translated when necessary and he was like man the commentators are ripping zidane here uh but it was just shocking right like mario Materazzi, who was a little scoundrel uh says some things and gets headbutted and the greatest player in the world uh, gets sent off in the biggest game uh, in in all of world football. So that yeah, was yeah. just yeah, that was wild. I would I couldn't believe it. I was just can you imagine if Twitter, if Twitter was around during that one? <laughs> oh man, he'd get like the Kevin Durant treatment or something. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he'd already freaking won a World Cup, but can't do it in the big moments. Yeah, that was a tough one. I I mean, we watched that live as well, and it was just shocking. It is the perfect word because it. The, the the timing of it, the stakes, everything that, that went around it, like the tournament that he was having, it was like his swan song. I think he must have been 36, 37 at the time, and he was the best player in the tournament. And in an instant, I mean, you got to wonder what, what Materazzi said. I think it was something about his mom, something like that, uh, that set him off. But uh, yeah, definitely not a positive memory for either of us in that one. So yeah. I had another one that, that stands out was... Um, the Landon Donovan late winner against Algeria in two thousand, also in two thousand ten. Uh, this was the last game of the group stage. I think they were in danger. The U.S. was in danger of not qualifying to the next stage. I think it was going to be England and Slovenia that made it through. And then in stoppage time against an Algerian team that I think had given up one goal in three games, uh, Tim Howard just hoofs it upfield. I want to say it's Clint Dempsey that brings it down. And he squares it for an on-rushing Landon Donovan. And he, it was like a sliding, it was not a clean finish at all. And it kind of trickles into the goal and 
you know, we all went nuts and I remember watching it uh, with a bunch of friends. And I really was rooting against Algeria in that World Cup because leading up to it, they kept Egypt out of the World Cup. And there was a lot of like accusations of uh, corruption and fans throwing bricks at the Egypt team buses, all kinds of crazy shit that happened in the uh, AFCON qualifying. But it was definitely like a super memorable uh, U.S. national team moment. And Ian Dark on the call was just perfect. Go USA, yes. go! <laughs> he's like the voice of the World Cup to me. I hope he's doing it this time. I, unless it's on Fox, it's on Fox. But I think they still, I, I think they still get him. I know he works for ESPN, but I think, uh, I think they still get him. Yeah, I hope so. Oh uh, yeah, same here. He did the last one, didn't he? He was still yeah, there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah you got to get him. Any like quick hitter ones? Yeah, let me rattle off a couple because I, I, we could do this forever. Uh, uh, the Luis Suarez bite—he was born with those big teeth, and the fact that he actually used them—that was a tremendous memory. The bite, bite or the handball? The bite, <laughs> he bit Giorgio Chiellini in Brazil, and and they both crashed out of the group stage. I think that year it was just weird. They were like the favorites to win their group, and neither of them went through. Uh, there's that one. The fact that he has those big teeth and he's used them three times in his career, tremendous. He was actually suspended for football activities for a few months in Barcelona, signed him away from Liverpool and made him publicly apologize. It's <laughs> like a PR thing. <laughs> and I think, you know what, when he signed for Liverpool from Ajax, I think he was in the midst of another suspension for biting someone in the neck. Yep, like, yep. <laughs> Fool me once, right? Like, it's, come on, man. Like, you got to keep, I think there had to have been at least three or four incidents. There was Ajax, there was Chiellini, and then I definitely remember him biting Ivanovic at one point as well. Like, the guy just sees red when he's on the field. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, like, Mike Tyson, a crazy person. Luis Suarez, crazy person, right? To bite yeah. someone. Uh, right, left, just a couple more. The 7-1 game, just a shocking, incredible moment. Germany beating Brazil. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Dennis Bergkamp scored an amazing goal against Argentina, just this long pass, and he just brought it down on his foot like a pillow to score against Argentina in France 98. Diego Forlan, long-distance goal, 2010 World Cup for Uruguay. Guillermo Ochoa, six saves against Brazil uh, in the 2014 World Cup. That was crazy. Uh, Robin Van Persie, goal against Spain. In the opening game in the 2014 World Cup, he just flew through the air like a rocket to score a header. That was like an all-time goal. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. They called it revenge, but, you know, you lost the World Cup final. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, as as I was heartbroken for my 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 dear Lionel Messi, Mario Goetze with an amazing finish, uh, an extra time in the World Cup in Brazil. And again, Quick Ian Dark trivia. The- who Who gave him the assist? I'm going to say Philip Lom. No, it was Andre Sherla. Oh, Chelsea player. That's why yeah. I'm so excited. That's to. why I know that. But that's, <laughs> he's one of those guys that had like a like a brief peak. That's like, hey, you're going to play in the World Cup final and then not do much else after that. But yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the Ian Dark call, Super Mario. Right. Uh, and then Iron Robin flopping and pissing off everyone in Mexico. Uh, during no that. era penal, no era yeah, penal. That's, <laughs> that's the chant. It's, it's like he, as someone who is like a notorious flopper, that was a that was a big one. It was an egregious one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah like you said, we could do this all day, which is some, especially as we talk about it, like more stuff will come up. But 
the last one for me was just seeing Egypt in the World Cup in 2018 uh, was, was really cool. I mean, I had, um, you know, parents from Egypt and seeing them in the, the World Cup was awesome. I'd seen them win a couple Africa Cups uh, or Africa Cup of Nations. But just to see them there, unfortunately, they didn't do much at all. Uh, mostly thanks to Sergio Ramos, who like dislocated Muhammad's last shoulder like a week before, two weeks before in the Champions League final. So thanks for that, Sergio. But I think they ended up not winning a single game. They were in a group with Russia, Saudi, and Uruguay, I think. And I think they might have finished third or fourth. So uh, they definitely didn't progress. So it was either third or fourth. Uh, but it was just cool seeing them get there. And hopefully they'll get back for the next one. So Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And then as promised, we're going to talk about a couple of our favorite what ifs. So again, not not the biggest what ifs, but just some that, you know, we think are particularly interesting. So uh, what's what's your first one? So mine is and this one just was the first one that came to mind when I was thinking about this is what if Neymar played in that 7-1 game uh, against Germany? So for context, 2014 World Cup, Brazil is the host. Uh, they, I thought that, you know, that squad wasn't actually really that great, to be honest with you. Like they were starting uh, Julio Cesar at goal, and he was like the starting goalie for Queens Park Rangers at the time. I just Yeah, thought, he was like 40 by then. Yeah, you know, David Luiz was, was okay. You know, I, I think that a lot of it was we are Brazil and we're hosting this tournament, and that's why, you know, we're going to channel in like you said about Greece earlier, that na national pride mm -hmm. to win this. Do you tournament. remember who started at, at striker for them? Was it Fred? Yeah. <laughs> so not Manchester United Fred, obviously. The other Fred. Yeah, different, yeah, no. forgettable Fred. FF yeah. as I know him as. Uh, yeah. That wasn't a good team. Like, I thought that they were a bit of a fraud, but they were playing really well together. They squeaked by, was it Costa Rica in that... It was, uh, uh, I think it was a Chile. Chile That's maybe. the one where he got injured, where he got kneed in the back and he got injured. They like barely like squeaked by in the penalty shootout against Chile. Was it Claudio Bravo that was scaring the shit out of them at goalie? I want to say, yeah. That was another one. It was Claudio Bravo, Kaylor Navas, Guillermo Ochoa, and, and uh, uh, Tim Howard like owned the World Cup that year. And maybe sprinkle in some Sergio Romero, just a murderer's row of, of world cup goalies i'm sure i'm missing maybe the champions whatever anyway manuel uh, neuer manuel neuer that's the one i was thinking of courtois <laughs> i don't are the goalies even that good they should never mind we'll get back <laughs> so they get to the final com complete total fraud with no neymar who was probably on his way if they'd gotten to the final winning player of the tournament i know it was messy and a losing effort but there was like james rodriguez had a great tournament but Neymar was keeping them together. He was dominant. He had four goals in the five games he played in, which is a lot in a World Cup. Um, and then he gets hurt. Was it Quintero from Colombia or? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It wasn't Chile that he got, it was Columbia. got hurt against. Yeah. It was Colombia, yeah. It was Quintero, I think, that kind of needed him in the back. Um, and, he, and he couldn't play the rest of the tournament. And then they go into Germany and half an hour into the game. It's shocking. Like the first goal goes in, you're like, okay, that was pretty fast. Another one goes in, okay, half an hour, and it's 3-0. And you're like, this is crazy that Brazil is getting picked apart yeah. like this. Now, I know they actually, were... I, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's sure. actually by the 29th minute, it was 
Whoa. Okay. So I, had, <laughs> I was even misremembering how quickly yeah. it was over. This is how quick the goals came in. 11th minute, 23rd minute, 24th minute, 26th minute, 29th minute. So, yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. A friend of mine was at, as it was at my house watching as a Brazil fan. He was sobbing, sobbing because he thought it, you know, there's always a point as a soccer fan, you get a little delusional and think, you know, it's three nil, but we could get one, you know, my guy runs in the back of the net. He picks up the ball and he says, let's go, let's go. We're going to, we're going to make this comeback. Five nil. He was defeated. He was like, why? why are you losing? Uh, yeah. So if Neymar played in that, I mean, he was just holding everything together. He would have kept possession of the ball, pushed the ball upfield. They wouldn't have been as vulnerable as they were on the break in that game. They were just complete Swiss cheese. They were shocked, and they didn't have any leadership. So I thought, you know, if Neymar plays, I'm not going to go as far as to say they would have channeled in national pride again and won, but maybe they lose like, you know, 3-2. It's not 7-1, for fuck's sake. Yeah, they they were defeated from the start. Like they made it to. Uh, I get that Neymar is is the best player, national hero, et cetera, et cetera. But they 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 laid it on a little thick. Like they they came out with his jersey. I think David Luiz was holding it during like the national anthem ceremony. I'm like, okay, the guy didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, that that and it, obviously the focus wasn't there because. You know, uh, losing 2-0, 3-0, okay, 4-0. All right, you know, you're just losing to a better team. But 7-1, that just, like, shows a complete lack of fight and a complete lack of will at that point. And I, I don't even think they they made it to the third-place game. No, they did. I'm sorry, and they lost again, 3-0 to Netherlands. So, yeah, they were just def- – they were mentally def- and emotionally defeated by the, when Neymar went out. So my what if is, or the first one is, I mean, we talked about a little bit, not so much a favorite moment, but just a memorable moment. Um, And that was Zidane headbutting Madrasi. What if he doesn't do that? Uh, So I remember, I think it was in the first half of stoppage time. And this uh, game, of course, goes to penalties. Uh, France loses, I want to say 4-1 or 4-2 in the penalties. And they bring on uh, David Trezeguet to take the penalty instead of Zidane. So I think it's pretty safe to say that France wins that penalty shootout, or at least they have a chance to win the game while it's still in extra time if he doesn't go off. And of course, like if he loses in a more traditional way, if he's not sent off in stoppage time, I think definitely we don't get that same hit towards Zidane's legacy that of course that the headbutt, you know, does. There's such a psychological effect to taking penalties, right? It's not like any of these guys are bad at shooting a ball. They've done it their whole lives. It's really about, I felt like Andrew Luck, really about uh, controlling their nerves. You see Zidane out there, and you're like, man, he's going to bury this one probably. What are we going to do? We're going to be down a couple. Uh, we got to play catch-up. We can't miss any penalties. Like, the pressure is on just from seeing him out there. And I think that that plays a psychological effect when the French are like, all right, we got to figure this out without Zidane out here. Yeah, he's he was the best player in that tournament. He's the coolest customer. Earlier in that game, in like the seventh or eighth minute, he hit the, uh, not quite a Penenka, but he chipped the a penalty in against one of the greatest keepers of all time. It was just like 
just the size of the nuts on that dude. Like, I don't know how he could play soccer when that's that big. Like, and of course, if he's out there, it's, you know, a whole different situation. Uh, all right. What else you got? Yeah. So the next one I was thinking was, uh, this is a while back. We didn't watch this world cup. It was what if Maradona's hand of God wasn't called a handball. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, a very long time ago, I think it was the 82 or 86 World Cup. I'm, I want to say 86. 86 uh, against England in the quarterfinals. Diego Maradona scores a goal. Uh, it obviously comes off of his hand when you watch the replay uh, to go up 1-0 against England. Uh, and that kind of changed the game. It was a close game. And they go on to win, I think, 3-2, 3-1 or 3-2. And they go on to win the tournament. He ends up scoring a second goal later, but uh, he was quoted afterwards as saying, uh, uh, "It was a little bit of Diego and a little bit of God that scored that goal." Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of flashy like that. Uh, so, you know what's funny about Argentinians? A friend of mine used to say this because uh, of people like Maradona, and it's just a funny expression. I don't think it's true, but he was sp- speaking specifically to Maradona. Is he thinks that when there's lightning outside, he runs outside because he thinks God is taking pictures of him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like just, like right. just flatly, you know, just out there, really out there, you know, um, uh, from, for Maradona. I think that if the, if the hand of God was called a handball, it, and it's ruled off, there's no VAR, right? In 1986. So it's, it's, it's ruled up, uh, uh, it's disallowed if the referee has a better angle. Maybe the, the English have a chance. Maybe they uh, keep the game a little bit closer because they couldn't recover. Maradona scores what's known as the goal of the century later in that game because I think they, they, it just, they were worn out playing from behind. Uh, so maybe England gets a better opportunity. Uh, that, I wanted to use the hand of God as an example. Uh, I know that Maradona caught lightning in a bottle in the World Cup that year, but yeah. Yeah, he's the best player in the tournament. And I think they beat England 2-1. So, oh, 2-1, all right. Yeah, the goal makes a big difference. Uh, so that's a, that's a good one. That's a great – I think that actually might be, like, a lot of folks' biggest what-ifs ever uh, in the World Cup. I mean, it was only in the quarterfinals, wasn't it, but in the final. But they, of course, end up going on to win it. They beat Belgium in the semis and then um, West Germany at the time in the final. So, uh, right. Mine is is similar. It's not quite as controversial or quite as famous. There's no cool nickname for this, uh, but it was Frank Lampard's sh- goal that should have counted against Germany in 2010. Um, so I am a USA fan. I root for Egypt, but I have the unfortunate uh, designation of rooting for England a lot of the times, and they're one of the chronic underachievers. And that was another one where they underachieved. It wasn't their fault. They did, but they did. And I think it was uh, 2-1 in the, like, around the 30th minute against Germany in the uh, round of 16. Frank Lampard chips, doesn't really chip, but he hits a shot from right at, right inside the box, goes over Manuel Neuer's head, hits the crossbar, bounces in by a good two feet, and bounces out. And Neuer, of course, he picks it up like nothing happened, and he kicks it away, and everyone's freaking out because there should have been a goal, and it wasn't called, and... I think they end up uh, losing that game, I think, 3-1 or 4-1. Instead of it going, you know, being 2-2, going into the 30th minute, it's 2-1. And 
England was mentally defeated. And it was kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy that England goes into every tournament with. It's like something is going to go wrong for us. It's just a matter of, it's not if, but when. Like, is it going to be we subbed on three guys at the end of the game to take penalty kicks and they all missed? Or is it David Beckham getting a stupid red card or us missing whatever it is? Like there's with England, there's always something that goes wrong. And that was one of the, it wasn't quite like the golden generation of England, but you look at that squad and it's, it's one that you would think would, would make a deep run. And unfortunately, because the ref didn't see it go in and it was the reason why it's such a big goal is I think that was one of the chief like moments where they decided to start implementing the goal line technology. But you would think again, if you're a professional referee, the ball lands three feet inside the goal. You think that you would call it, but yeah. So that, that's one of my, my big ones. Uh, this isn't an indictment of you as an England fan, but I feel like England, when it comes to their fans are like the New York Knicks. Like they won the championship a really long time ago. And they're like, 66, you know, six baby. It's big here. We're entitled to win it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I, I get why a lot of people don't like them. Again, the colonial ties and uh, some of the issues that come across seeing a, a big red cross on a white background. <laughs> you know, it's it's an issue. I remember I talked to one of my one of my friends in college. Uh, he's Algerian ethnically, but he's grew up in the UK. And he said that, you know, I don't have a problem rooting for Britain or Great Britain because everyone is British. Everyone that lives there is British, but only some people are English and there's a big difference and they make the distinction there. So rooting for England is a little harder than rooting for, you know, team GB <laughs> like they had in the, in the Olympics that year. And I was like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but you know, Frank Lampard plays for Chelsea. So I'm going to root for him and root for England. So yeah. that's funny. That's a very big difference than like rooting for laundry. Like I root for golden state or I root for Oklahoma city because of the, the the colors this is like this is about freaking history yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's that not cross. <laughs> that, that's why brazil is so easy to root for aside from being like a fun multicultural you see a lot of brown black guys white guys all together and then you look at a team like croatia everybody's white i mean i know croatia is probably 98 percent white but then you get the fans involved you get the then you go to the other countries germany uh england france and you get to sort of the colonial problematic histories and it's not just laundry it's 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 a lot more than that you know when you pick that team so uh all right what what else you got last one mine was the zidane one so we covered that they should have won okay and then the the other one for me is the wando miss oh you remember that one oh yeah so a little bit of color to that one what chris wandalowski all-time leading scorer in mls history God bless him, one of the best goal scorers in MLS <laughs> history. I, I feel like you're about to say something. A personal favorite, my favorite MLS player of all time, as a casual San Jose Earthquakes fan, makes the squad ahead of Landon Donovan, who was uh, beefing at the time with, with Jurgen Klinsmann. So it was a completely you know, personality-based omission for Donovan because Klinsmann just didn't like it for whatever reason. Maybe he thought he like his head was too big for the squat, whatever it might be. But Wando gets a golden chance at the end, I think in stoppage time in regulation to score and take the U S through against Belgium to the, the, the quarterfinals. He misses 
they end up losing, I believe, in penalty on penalties or maybe in, in extra time, whatever it is. But yeah, that's that's a big miss for me. And the and the U.S. was doing really well that tournament too, so it's it quite a bummer. Oh, just just groaned the the rest of the way. Just ah, oh, I didn't have any other emotion. Just ah, oh, Wando. Yeah, and that was like his introduction to the world stage because I guarantee you, no one outside of not even the MLS, like the Western Conference. MLS knows who Chris Wondolowski is and that's his his big moment and I mean he was great man he just uh the moment was just too big for him and it's it's unfortunate if he if he gets that chance like a hundred times he's burying that like 99 out of 100 just that one time he just couldn't get a clean clean touch on it so poor guy uh yeah all right and that was the, like the last because the U.S. didn't make 2018 so we haven't seen the U.S. in the World Cup in quite some time that that is right yeah <laughs> so and we'll talk a little bit about what what we think the u.s is going to do so those were our, our our three what ifs we'd love to hear some of yours so let us know uh on social uh so we'll we'll shift gears a little bit and we'll talk about instead of talking about the past we'll talk about the future so predictions we'll start with uh who do you think is going to win it all yeah i had to think about this quite a bit because it really isn't like the world cup is a tricky tournament and you look at who's won the World Cup in the 80 plus years of World Cup that's been played, and it's like the same like six to eight countries like Brazil, Germany, Italy, Argentina, Uruguay won the first two, so they're on that list. Uh, England and Spain, and I might be and missing France. some, and France, France twice, I think. Twice. Yeah, France twice. So those are the only countries in a hundred years of World Cup that have been played that have actually won it. So it's not far to say that one of those countries is favored to win it this year. I my, my pick is Argentina, and and this is why uh, they they won that Copa America against Brazil uh, about a year year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the first Argentina team that looks like they enjoy playing together in a long time. They got a bunch of like versatile talent that loves playing together. They their defense is incredible. Um, I think that what makes this club, this version of them, different is in in Brazil when they had a shot at winning it. It was all individual collective talent, which really showed mm-hmm. more in the Russia World Cup. But they just had enough to get. They won like a penalty shootout. They barely made it to that final, and it was like highly dependent upon Messi. You know. Everyone kind of drags their feet when Messi's on the field for that team. And yet all these guys that were, you know, uh, bucket getters, I guess you could say, at their clubs, Aguero yeah. and Higuain and mm-hmm. Lavezzi and Javier Pastore, and yet like all these guys that were good at the club level. But as soon as they got put on that Argentina shirt, they're all just staring at him and saying, can you set me up? Maybe I'll do a thing that I did in the Premier League once uh, or 30 times last year, depending on which guy it was. This team has one guy uh, that follows Messi around, and whenever Messi moves forward, he goes back. I think it's uh, Rodrigo uh, de la Vega. I, I, I can't remember his name. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul. Right? De Paul, excuse me. Yeah. He moves forward when Messi goes back. When Messi moves forward, he goes back. It, so Messi has that free range to go on the field wherever he wants he get like can play in the middle if he wants to and facilitate if he wants to move forward and spread the field he can do that and draw 
gravity towards him. And they didn't lose any of their qualifying games. They just really have a good system. They're missing Lo Celso, which really sucks. I think he got injured before the World Cup. Uh, but I think they still have enough to do it. They, it's it's going to be a, a real tough out for this ver- incarnation mm-hmm. of Argentina. And Vegas agrees with you. So in, in we'll do just top five favorites. It's Brazil, Argentina, France, England, and Spain. I mean, I don't know why England is up there, but... Just looking at the the personality of this squad, and I think you you called out a couple of the guys, the the so-called bucket getters, Aguero, uh, Iguain, et cetera. I think one of the what-ifs could have been if Iguain had scored that easy chance against uh, Germany <laughs> yeah. in 2014, just like the impact on Messi's legacy that he would have had. But Messi got his first international tournament trophy, so he got that monkey off his back. So maybe he plays this world cup with a little bit more freedom, a little less of a weight on his shoulders, because at least he brought a Copa America to Argentina. And you look up and down this roster, there's a good mix of uh, veteran savvy guys like Angel Di Maria, uh, Nicholas Otamendi. And then you have some of that young, like the fearless element, right. Which adds to that, that nice little mix. And I think Messi does play a little bit more free in this situation, but I still think it's going to be uh, Brazil that wins it all. I know they're the favorite. I know it's kind of the boring pick, but they really don't have a weakness. Maybe a little bit in central defense. I don't know. I mean, Thiago Silva is still amazing. He's 37. He's still balling. But they just have so much individual talent, and they they play really well. They just they fell just short. I think it was 1-0 to Argentina in that Copa America final. Uh, Neymar is maybe the best player in the world right now. So it's it's hard to pick against them. And, you know, they have uh, Vinicius Jr., Anthony, all kinds of talent just all over the board. And even, you know, their defense. Uh, and they have a little bit of leadership there, too, of course, with Silva and Danny Alves, who still made the squad somehow, even though he's playing uh, in Liga MX now. So it's, it's really surprising. But any dark horse picks for you? A uh, couple, yeah. Netherlands, uh, excellent defense. Throughout their qualifying, they looked really good. Um, they have a lot of young talent. Memphis Depay has been on the team for a while, still in good form. Uh, that's one. Denmark was one I'm really interested in that's off the board. They uh, topped their group in qualifying. Uh, they had a goal differential of plus 27. Uh, so they were really dominant going into the tournament. Christian Eriksen, who uh, has been in excellent form for Manchester United, Looks like he's going to be pulling the strings for them. Uh, that that's one I'm I'm excited to see. Uh, the, so they're in an easy group with France, uh, Tunisia, and uh, and uh, Australia. They can easily get second place in that group. So I, I like Denmark as a dark horse. They're a pretty popular pick. I think they're like I mean not not in terms of of betting odds or anything like that, but there are a lot of people's popular dark horse picks. I think some of the I don't know if you want to call them a dark horse, but Portugal is a good one. They're, they're another one that's just absolutely stacked with talent. Um, it's just a matter, I think, of will they play well together? Can they manage the ego of, of Cristiano Ronaldo? Can they keep him in check? Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think, yeah, Brazil for me, Argentina for you. Your dark horse is Denmark. I think my dark horse is Portugal. Again, not 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 too uh ballsy of a pick but just their <laughs> talent is just out off the board so we didn't pick ecuador yeah i mean you gotta be, be reasonable 
I know. I'm. I when I was doing research, people were like, "Oh, Senegal." Um, Mane's or, out. So, you know, no yeah, Mane. I, that that's done. Let me pick Switzerland. They're like plus t- plus ten thousand. Croatia plus five thousand to win. Maybe that's, that's a good last one shot. you can throw so in there. This is their last shot. This is the end of that golden era. Yeah, yeah. And it's what what I'm curious to see is who has home field advantage here. Like, I don't know what the demographics <laughs> are going to be like of this tournament. Like. You know, you looked at you go to all the European ones. I think for the most part, when the when the tournament is held in Europe, European teams win. When it's held otherwhere, other otherwise, you know, in the in the U.S. or uh, in South America, South Africa, you know, other teams generally win when it's there. So I'm curious to see. This is the, only the second one in Asia, I think, after uh, uh, Japan and Korea. So I'm curious to see w- what group of fans show up. Is it going to be a you know mostly pro Brazil because of everyone rooting for Brazil? So I'm really interested to see. And uh, so since we're in the U.S., let's do some U.S. U.S. men's national team predictions. Where do they finish? Did they make it out of the group? Any uh, wild predictions or, or concerns about the squad that you have? I'm not a huge fan of Greg Berhalter's tactics. Um, he messes around with line lineups a lot every game like sometimes they have a back three a back four uh they have an attacking lineup like the u.s has always been good as a counter-attacking team uh, and he messes around with it a lot so you just don't know what version of the u.s is going to be out there when they yep, play yep. that's been my problem um but they're in a group that is you know it's tricky with iran who um is sneaky good they're not going to win the tournament or anything, but they're a they don't squad. give up many goals. They're always like a lockdown type team. So it's hard to get a result against them for sure. Wales hasn't qualified in a really long time. Um, that's a decent squad too. So Gareth I mean, Bale, big have... name player, big time, big game player, not even just big name, big game player. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, they just, they, they have to, it's hard for them to, they make a lot of mistakes and the world cup is one tournament where you can't do that. They can make it second in this group. England is a very, very good team. So I, I can see the U.S. doing that. And I think they would lose to the, a lot of the brackets I've seen. They would lose to the Netherlands in the next round for the most part. Uh, if, if they win no their group. That. Yeah. Sure, sure. My thing is Ricardo Pepe being excluded from this is such a blow for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, he was such a great goal scorer for them that played a huge part in them qualifying coming into this year. And I know that he went to Germany and that loan didn't work out. It's hard for young players to just go overseas like that. Yeah, he's a baby. Um, Yeah, he's like, what, 19 years old or something? Um, Mm -hmm. I think so. If you're a a Mexican-American and you have that choice and you're really good to play between those two countries, it's pretty goddamn disencouraging to see a guy like Ricardo Pepe who opted to play for the U.S. instead of Mexico, and then he doesn't get selected. I'm not saying someone there doesn't deserve it, but you got to make room for this guy. It's 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 tough. I think people had him going uh, over Haji Wright, who I think plays for uh, Besiktas, I want to say. Um, but, yeah, uh, my concern is... You know, this is easily like uh, by far, by far the most talented U.S. national team at a major tournament ever, right? You look at some of the names, some of the clubs that they play for, 
Pulisic, Chelsea, Giorena plays for Dortmund. Uh, Timothy Way plays for Lille. Tyler Adams is one of the best central midfielders, defensive midfielders in the Premier League playing for Leeds, et cetera. Like the list goes on and on and on. The My concerns is obviously these are the most talented players and Yunus Musa, who's, who's incredible. I can't wait to see him play. But is this the best team? And you talked about the, them playing defensive, counterattacking. It's like they used to be built for tournaments, right? We talked about teams having great goalkeepers. I don't see that on this roster. Matt Turner's decent. He's good for Arsenal. He's not Tim Howard. Sean Johnson's not Tim Howard. Ethan Horvath's not Tim Howard, et cetera, et cetera. So the concern is, you know, are these guys built for a tournament? They're obviously more talented. The talent is through the roof on the squad, and they're also really young, and that that's another big concern. So I, I still have them finishing second in the group, but I'm not super confident about it. Yeah, and I know I started off my my analysis of them on the negative side, but you're 100% right. It's a talented squad that shows the growth of talent that comes out of the U.S. More of them are playing in Europe where there's more competition. MLS competition is increasing because you got people looking for work coming here too. So it's not like the MLS is uh, a walk in the park either. So it's it's great to see that the bigger names are playing in in, in the Chelsea's of the world and et cetera. Um, yeah, man, it's it's not like the Jurgen Klinsmann team was flashy or anything. I just hope that Berhalter doesn't screw around uh, and they approach this like you said, built to win these one-off games where you can at least you know, I'm not they can't win the tournament, but where you can you know. It, surprise people exactly it's i mean three draws may be enough to get to make your way through and hopefully you, you can beat get a result against iran or something but yeah it's uh I, I still again i see them finishing second in the group so and losing to the netherlands is not nothing to be ashamed of if that that does happen but again when you once you get into the the one-off format anything can happen and having all this amount of talent these kind of match-winning type players, especially like Reyna, who's coming into form. A lot of these guys can really surprise people uh, on the the national stage, even though they're kind of known commodities at this point. Um, and then the defense, that's the real concern. That's where the, <laughs> yeah, that's the lack the of star power shows. And you're starting, you know, 30-year-old MLS, like, lifers is, is, is a concern. But, you know. Yeah, against Harry Kane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe Qatar is is going to be like home field for for the U.S. So there's a lot of expats. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> we have some military bases there. The lo- largest U.S. Know. military base uh, is in Qatar, outside of obviously here. Oh, there you go. I didn't know that. So yeah. maybe that that comes into into play. So cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for for going down memory lane here and doing putting your predictions on the line. Uh, so again, once this publishes, it should be about a day or two into the World Cup. So we'll be uh, catching World Cup fever 100%. So yeah, make sure to follow us on all social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook at the 4040 Vision Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision Pod. And of course, make sure to uh, download, like, and subscribe to our podcasts on all the major podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Sam. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's pronounced Qatar. Thanks, everyone. Qatar. 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 <laughs> Qatar. Qatar. That's Cutter. the worst one. <laughs> yeah. Qatar is acceptable. Qatar is a tough one. So, yeah. <laughs> World Cup 2022, Qatar. 
in Doha, Doha, Qatar. I uh, hope everyone has a good time. Right?